Well, welcome to the remnant of us who choose to continue our faith even on long weekends. It is good to be here. Um, as a community, for the past several weeks, we've been going through a series called Encounters of Goodness, and each week we've been looking at a theophany, a moment in which a person or a figure in, in Scripture encounters God and specifically encounters His goodness, His grace, and His love. And through it, we've learned of the surprising places that God shows up, of the leading ways that he teaches us, of the love and grace that he extends. And this has been building a framework for us, a way of understanding how God meets us and interacts with us. But we're going to step into part two of our series, Encounters of Goodness, The Wrath of Khan, you might say. Does anyone know Star Trek anymore? Is Star Trek? Okay, so it's still a few. So... A sequel of sorts. Um, and the first part of the series was setting up this framework, this understanding for how God meets with us, for understanding that we can enter into and encounter that goodness. But the second part of our series, what we're going to be doing is focusing on how we become people and places where others encounter that goodness through us. And it comes from this conviction that grace always arrives to us on the way to someone else. God's goodness, his love always comes to us on the way to someone else as well, not devaluing the encounter we have, but instead opening it up to an even greater way. And part of this is based on what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And I want to preface, we don't do good works to earn anything. We don't do good works to experience greater favor or salvation or anything like that. Good works are an overflowing, an overflowing of joy and abundance that's been given to us. And the second part of the series, what I'm hoping to do is form us to be the kind of people where others encounter goodness on a regular basis. And it's going to walk through a number of different practices where we can encounter goodness and then learn to give that same practice to other people in an interesting and unique way. Much like Jacob learning that he was a staircase, it is going to be the same for us. But this task is a big one because how can I say to you, uh, be a better person, be nicer, be more gracious, be kinder? I'm sure that my words will simply not convince you. So instead, I've taken the easy route and I'm going to instead tell you to do nothing. My first practice is the practice of doing nothing. In order to be encountering goodness, I want to invite you to the ancient practice or even command of Sabbath. And maybe you're like me, where the practice of Sabbath is weird and strange and makes no sense. For me growing up, the ancient practice of Sabbath made no sense. I would say it in the Ten Commandments as I recited them to earn awards, usually chocolate in Sunday school, or I would hear kind of older folks at church gripe and complain that movie theaters and malls were open on Sundays as though that was some way um, bad, and I did not understand it. But most of my experience in church is that the church has simply given Sabbath a rest. We don't really talk about it, maybe flippantly or jokingly. We refer to it as, oh, I need to take a day off. But we don't actually give it the full weight it deserves. And I think we're lesser for it. So today what I want to do is I want to give a defense of Sabbath. I want to open it up to you and then hopefully find ways that we can open it up to other people. The first time that I ever saw the real strength 
of Sabbath, the real purpose of Sabbath, I believe, was in a Bolivian transportation protest. I was working in Cochabamba, Bolivia, in this incredible orphanage called Ninos Convalor, and we were staying up in the mountains just a little outside of town, and every morning we would take this incredibly colorful bus through the city to work at the orphanage, but one morning we got up and our host of the hostel we were staying in, uh, Rusty Firestone, which is the greatest name, um, he says to us, we have a bit of a problem. Uh, we might not be able to get you into the city because there's a transportation protest going on. To which I said, what is a transportation protest? And he explained that overnight, all of the bus drivers, the, cab, the city cabs, um, and several other people drove their cars into the city center and along the bridges and parked bumper to bumper, took their license place, plates off, and then in the middle of the night, scattered. They all went back home. And they forced a Sabbath day on the entire city of Cochabamba. No one could get into the city. No one could get out of the city. And they were protesting what they saw as an unjust system. There was issues going on with gas inflation, with locks on the amount they could charge, as well as an ongoing water feud. And so in an act of protest, they forced a whole shutdown for the city. And when I saw that for the first time, I thought maybe this act of guerrilla theater is much closer to what Sabbath truly is supposed to be. Could it be that what these Bolivian protesters were doing was showing that Sabbath is truly about resistance? All through taking a day off, that the real purpose of Sabbath is a subversive resistance. It is an act of guerrilla theater. It is a way to level status on the playing field and it is to cry out for justice. And maybe that sounds like too much for you and that I'm stretching, but let me explore through scripture how this is the case. And what I want to do is I want to look at the first time the Sabbath command is given in Exodus. I want to look at it again in Deuteronomy. And then I want to finally land on what I think Jesus was doing when he proclaims a Sabbath year, a jubilee. The first time we encounter Sabbath, in the Bible, um, in a law form, or a command is the book of Exodus and the Ten Commandments, which is what we saw. And the first half of the book of Exodus is kind of this epic story. The Hebrew people are enslaved in Egypt, and God comes and liberates them from oppression, from slavery, and brings them out towards the promised land. And after they are coming out of slavery, they come to the feet of Mount Sinai, and they are given the Ten Commandments. And these are supposed to be kind of the moral code for them to be the priests to all nations. And it's here that this former group of slaves are invited into this practice of Sabbath. Nestled in the very middle of the book of Exodus and in the very middle of the Ten Commandments comes the strange Sabbath command. Um, can you go to the Ten Commandments slide? I might be slightly ahead. So the first four, or the first three of the Ten Commandments are theocentric. They're focused on who God is, right? And our relation to God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take graven images, and you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And then the last six commandments are community-centric. Do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Simple understandings of how we are to relate to other people. But nestled in the middle of that is take a day off, which is kind of a wild command, if I may say so. And it's interesting because it comes with a whole footnote of why. The first time the Sabbath command comes is that God says, you are to take a Sabbath 
because God did. In the, the story of creation, God in six days creates everything. He revels with joy and pleasure in each one, proclaiming them all good. And then, after making man male and female in his image, he rests. And in some way, in each of us is the image of God. It hums in the image of God. And because of that, the Hebrew people are to rest. I love what the late Eugene Peterson says, uh, who is a fierce defender of Sabbath. He writes, when we remember the Sabbath and rest on it, we enter into and maintain the rhythm of creation. We enter into time with, we keep time with God. There's this element that in order to practice Sabbath is to seek to find that image of God in us, to seek to follow into the pattern that God has set. And the reason this is so important is where the Hebrew people just came from. For several generations now, they were in slavery. They were under the foot of the empire. All they were seen as was objects of production. Work was the God that defined them. Production, the God that gave them value. If they couldn't work or produce, they weren't good for anything for the nation they were in. And so God is seeking to remove this identity of slaves and instead give them a new identity, image bearers. And Sabbath is the primary tool that he does this. One day a week, you will not work. You will not rely on your own strength or power. You will not be required to be objects of production. He's seeking to give them a new name, you could say. And this is why I'm convinced that we still need Sabbath. Because though we aren't slaves, we often find ourselves or allow ourselves to become enslaved. Enslaved to work. Enslaved to the need to impress others. Enslaved to becoming our true selves. Enslaved to the high that comes from producing and creating. Enslaved from the expectations of others. Enslaved to being busy enslaved to entertainment, it can start to feel rather dehumanizing, losing that sense of self and identity. When I used to work in the restaurant industry, and probably many people who have been servers, the, the most frustrating moment of any shift was always when you would go to a table, this warm welcome, hi, my name is Phil, how are you? And they don't even make eye contact with you. And they say one word. Does anyone know what it is? Water. They don't even look at you. It's not a question. It's not, oh, I'd love a glass of water. It's just with still looking away from you, they just say water. And this happened all the time. Every single day, you would just feel this dehumanizing moment. I'm just an object of production. I am just the thing that goes from one place to the other for you. I have no value other than what I bring you. Or even think of the language that a lot of businesses use. They don't call their employees people. They call them bodies. We need more bodies on the floor. We need more bodies in the store. We need more bodies to do this. Not people with souls, not image bearers, simply objects, tools of production. I love what Walter Brueggemann writes. He says this, In our contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. 
It is resistance because it is the visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. The rat race of anxiety. And Sabbath comes as this beautiful command, a way to both honor God and neighbor. It is a command given to liberate us from our slavery to busyness, work, and the subtle acts of dehumanization. It liberates our humanity by revealing the image of God in us. Sabbath is a single day a week that we revel in God, in creation, in play, in praying, and napping. We don't have to do anything. We simply be, and it is good. How often when somebody asks you how you are, do you just say busy because you don't want to be seen as lazy? I talked about that last week, that I have this fear of being lazy. And so always it's this idea, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. Why? Because we don't want to be seen as people that rest. But Sabbath is this this opening gift to us to reclaim our identities, to reorient how we understand ourselves. But Sabbath comes up again in a very interesting way. Oh, one last part is the Sabbath command is also not individual, is it? It says you, your son, your daughter, your male and female servant, your animals that are working for you, everyone gets access to Sabbath. Everyone. And it it comes to even greater fruition the second time the Sabbath command is given. In the book of Book of Deuteronomy, which takes place about 40 years after the Exodus, the Hebrew people have been wandering through the wilderness. And all this time, they've been practicing and internalizing Sabbath as a day of rest, a day in which they do not work. And they are about to go into the promised land, the land that God has prepared for them in advance. They are about to become wealthy. They're about to have male and female servants. The the tables are turning for them finally. And so Moses gives the Ten Commandments one more time, and the only commandment he really changes is Sabbath. Follow along with me for a moment. He says this, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or your donkey or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Instead of aligning Sabbath with creation, and instead of aligning it with this image of God in ourselves, Moses does something subtle but vital. He reminds them of their former status. You were once slaves. You were once objects of production And the tables are about to turn for you. You're about to be affluent. You are about to enter into a prosperous land. And you are to resist becoming like the masters you served under. 
number of years ago, um, back when I was living in Ontario, my family and my wife, but girlfriend then, uh, was about to go on vacation to Florida. And I was working in the restaurant industry and my feet were uh, heavily cracked. My toenails were awful from a hard um, winter. And I realized the thing I needed before <laughs> I went on vacation was what many of us need is a good manicure and pedicure. So I went, I went to the salon, went to the esthetician, I was like, oh, I'd like to get the full package. Like, I'm going all out here, I'm going to experience true rest for my feet. And so I go into the salon, the esthetician takes me in this back room, there's these beautiful stone basins with like bubbly green aromatic water, and I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I need. She's like, make yourself at home, the esthetician will be in soon. So I take off my shoes and socks, I roll up my pant legs, I put my feet in the water and just, uh, if, if, if you have not gotten a mani pedi, I highly recommend it. Um, and I'm sitting there just in bliss, in pure rest, in joy. The esthetician comes in and she, in, or they introduce themselves and they begin kind of doing the work, rubbing in the salts, cutting toenails, scraping off layers of dead skin that was on my feet. And I am just in bliss. I get out a book to start reading. And then they begin to ask me questions. What do I do with my life? Do I go to school? Do I have a girlfriend? Where's my girlfriend? Why isn't my girlfriend with me? There are a lot of questions on why I'm doing this alone. What am I reading? What is it about? What am I doing with the rest of my day? Just on and on these questions, and I politely answered each one, but clearly trying to bat them away. Can't you just focus on the job I'm paying you for? I, I came to rest and relax. I, I'm showing you I don't want to talk to you. I'm not even making eye contact. I'm literally looking at a book right now and then I caught myself. And I caught myself because years ago I was preaching a sermon on Sabbath and I'm refusing to make eye contact. I'm refusing to see their humanity. I see them as only an object of production. Guilt washed over me. The log is in my eye. I am that what I hate. I think this is why the Sabbath command comes in because you and I and all people so quickly have that ability to dehumanize others the same way we hate to be dehumanized. So often I would hear servers complain about how a table was treating them and then go and treat the host even worse. And I think, do you not get it? But the Hebrew people, they're, they're traveling through the wilderness. They've been practicing Sabbath for generations. They're about to become wealthy and powerful. And Moses says, don't forget who you were and how God rescued you. You have the proclivity to do the same. And so Sabbath is this beautiful gift in so many ways. Because first, it's a gift to us. It's a reminder that we are image bearers, a reminder that we are God's beloved, that we are made in him and to reflect him, to follow that rhythm and pattern with our lives. But then it's a reminder and a gift for us to give others. It is a reminder that they are image bearers, that they are beloved. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath practice grows though. 
At first, there's, there's once every seven days, but then every seven years, they were to let certain fields lie fallow. A reminder that creation is a gift from God to not exploit it, to not overuse it, to let it rest. A gentle reminder for us today as well. We would be very good to practice Sabbath in much larger ways than simply one day a week. And then it grows even more that every seven sabbatical years, every 49 years, was a year of jubilee. A year in which slaves were given their freedom. People's debts were cleared. People were given back the land that they sold when they had not enough. And it was this repeated reset for the people of Israel, a reminder you can never become like the slaves and the masters you once were, or the masters you once worked under. It is this reset. God is giving gifts over and over again, a reminder to not become like who they were and who they served under. And the really beautiful thing about the year of Jubilee is it comes up when Jesus first introduces his ministry. In uh, Luke 4, it says this, Um, Jesus is at a temple and he goes up to read and he takes the scroll of Isaiah and he reads this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and he said, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The year of the Lord's favor is a jubilee year, the Sabbath of Sabbaths. And Jesus is saying, I have come and in me, debts are cleared, slaves are set free, blind are given sight. No longer is jubilee something you wait for, it's something here in their midst. And he invites us to be the kind of people that give that goodness, that sabbatical, that Sabbath rest to others in so many ways. Sabbath begins by God, God resting, God rejuvenating, God realigning with himself, and then inviting us into that practice. Elevating our, and then giving that to other people elevating others who we have the habit of dehumanizing our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our employees, our fields and ground. And it equalizes all of us as men and women created in the image of God. But then it is meant to bleed through the rest of the week, slowly transforming us when we aren't even aware of it, slowly changing us as individuals and communities more and more into the image of God the image of God who we are created in. And it points towards the ultimate Sabbath rest that Jesus talks about. At the beginning, my goal, I said that my goal was to lead us to be people where others encounter God's goodness. And in a day and age that is so defined by work, by anxiety, by the rat race, maybe one of the best gifts that we can give to ourselves and others is rest, to taste and see that the Lord is good, to be still, 
and know that he is God. To give up the need to prove oneself through work and production and busyness. Instead, revel in being made in the image of God. To rub shoulders with those created in the image of God. All through the subtle acts of praying, playing, and napping. Jesus at one point says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I find myself weary and burdened often. And so I come back each week to remind myself, I am created in the image of God, and so are you, and so are they. And I seek to have this gift form me, and I seek to give this gift to others. May you find that God invites you to rest. And when you do, may you be transformed by his goodness so that others can encounter that goodness through you. I'll pray one more time and we'll enter into communion.